Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello, everybody. Bridget McGowan here, and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. I am pleased to have with me Kevin M. Yates. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hello, Bridget, and thank you for including the M in Kevin M. Yates. I appreciate that. Well, <laughs> here's the deal. Here's the deal. And, and maybe it's because it's a personal thing. I see it on everything you have, whether it is your LinkedIn account, whether it's your website, whether it's your email signature, I see the M. So I'm assuming it must be important and you want to be addressed as such. <laughs> it, it is intentional, Bridget, and, yeah. and the reason behind it, and I want to try to keep this clean, right? So <laughs> a few years ago, if you Googled Kevin Yates, you would have come across a man who was accused of some illegal things. I'll just leave Whoa. it at that. Yeah. And so I was thinking, I need to ensure that if someone Googles me, that they find me and not this other Kevin Yates, right? And so a few years ago, I started using my full name, Kevin M. Yates. And my middle name is not Measurement, even though that's what I'm known for. So it's not <laughs> Kevin Measurement Yates, Bridget. It's Kevin, it's Kevin Morton Yates, which is interesting in and of itself because it is my paternal grandmother's maiden name, right? Long story short, I wanted to make sure that when people want to find me, they can find me. So when I speak um, in all my articles, you know, in my bylines and all that, I ask and I ensure that my full name is included with middle initial Kevin M. Yates. So that's the story. When you Google me, I want to make sure you find me. <laughs> that, and that's incredibly smart for incredibly an incredibly good reason uh, yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, to do that. Uh, I have my own stories with my name and so on and so forth. I uh, won't bore too many people. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> So have you always been a confident speaker? Because I know you for being top-notch in the learning and development world and top-notch when it comes to measuring impact in training. And we'll talk more about your background and everything a little bit later. But the Kevin I've always known has just been, you know, on it, together, confident, ready. Has it always been you on the stage? That hasn't always been me in real life. And it certainly hasn't always been me on the stage, right? So, you know, I'm pretty transparent with my life's journey, Bridget. And part of that is me spending years in a place of low self-esteem, um, years in a place of not having the best self-image, um, years of just not being self-confident. And so many people are very surprised to hear when I share that very personal part of my story in my life because of who they see on stage, right? And who they have, you know, got to know over the past few years, right? So to answer your question, have I always been confident on stage? I haven't been, I've grown into this, right? I have grown into discovering the joy of being on stage and the joy of interacting and engaging with audiences and the joy of helping people, which is what I'm all about and which is what I do. And so when I am speaking and I have engagements and I'm on stage, I'm sharing thoughts, ideas, 
um, actionable strategies for how to measure the impact of training and learning. And that helps people. So I discovered joy just knowing that I'm helping at least one person, somebody who's listening to me and paying attention, at least one person. But yeah, so it's been a journey, Bridget. You know, um, I have reached a place of confidence when I am on the stage and I have reached a place of being very sure of, of who I am and what I do. Uh, but to answer your question, have I always been in that place? No, I haven't. And again, both personally and professionally haven't been in that place, but I'm in that place right now. It's a great place to be. I'm enjoying being confident. I'm enjoying having a healthy self-view and good self-esteem. And then people actually see that play itself out on the stage as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm right where I need to be. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. What I liked most was you said, no, I haven't always been confident, but it was that joy of being on the stage, knowing I helped at least one person, knowing that I impacted at least one person. I want to talk a little bit more about impacting the audience and how a lot of times speakers feel like in order to be a success, they have to reach everyone and they've got to get everybody agreeing with them. But I get a sense that you're okay if not everybody agrees. If there was at least one person moved, then that that was that that's a good thing. How do you how do you dance with the fact that, and this is just a reality, not everybody, not 100% of the audience is always going to be, you know, where you need them to be when you need them to be there. That's a great question, Bridget. And, and I just reflect on what represents real life. And what represents mm. real life is that in real life, not everyone is going to agree with us. Not everyone is going to believe in what we're saying. Not everyone will align to our thoughts and ideas. And that's okay, right? And particularly, Bridget, in those instances, instances where I have audience engagement, meaning some direct conversations, some direct back and forth between audience members, and they are sharing um, an alternative view, uh, a different uh, idea. I'm so okay with that because sometimes I actually learn from that and it gives me reason to reflect and say, okay, Kevin, let's, let's revisit and what's, let's, let's rethink what you've been thinking because there may be some merit to what this person is saying or what this person is thinking. And I welcome it. I'm okay with that because I don't have the expectation that I will always get 100% agreement uh, or that I will always get 100% alignment when I am on stage. Because again, that represents real life. And I kind of put myself in the audience's seat, right? When I attend conferences and events and such, do I always agree with the person on the stage? No, I don't. But that's okay. That's okay. It's all about um, a back and forth dialogue or more often than not, if I'm on stage, a one-way dialogue. But the point is that there are different perspectives, there are different thoughts and there are different ideas. And I welcome that. I don't run away from it. I'm not afraid of it. Um, as long as there is no disrespect, <laughs> as long as no one gets like violently angry because they disagree with what I'm saying, that's fine. There's, there's no problem with that. So I, um, I'm okay with different thoughts, different ideas and different opinions. As long as they don't start throwing things at you. Did you see that video of Cardi B recently? <laughs> actually, I did see that. I did see that. And actually, that's a very good example, right? So if it doesn't get physical, you know, and if there is no, you know, heckling or anything like that, right. if you right. disagree, that, that's fine. That's fine. And, and quite honestly, if you do have a situation where there are difficult audience members, and especially, well, either in an instance where 
everybody in the room knows each other, let's say you're presenting for a corporation, or even if they don't all know each other, if you're presenting at a conference, if you're up there and you're doing your best and you're giving your all, if there is a heckler, if there is a difficult audience member, oftentimes the other audience members will kind of tell that person, hey, you know, knock it off. You know, that's true. They'll, they'll handle it for you if you're up there clearly giving it your best shot at providing value. So and and let you know, I'll share I've been on stages as a professional speaker since 2001 and I was doing you know all kinds of different kind of little presentations before then and such I've never had any kind of a crazy violent situation and I also want to bounce back to the original question about how everybody isn't in 100% agreement with you and how you take not dissenting views, but you know, alternative views and opinions. And you use those to learn and grow. I know for me, I will use it to improve my presentation because maybe it was something I didn't think about. And I've gotten to a point where I have a lightning round in one of my presentations, just based on these questions that I'll get in the audience or sometimes I'll do an activity where people provide me with questions that they still have after my presentation. I'll do a lightning round of anywhere from 10 to 15 topics or questions that I've gotten that I didn't necessarily plan for, but now it's like this little fun part of some of my presentations. So you take the dissenting viewpoints, if you will, you use it to make your presentations even better. Absolutely. I. I like to think that I honor all voices in the room, those that agree, yeah. and those that disagree. Um, and I think that there's so much that you can learn from someone who has a different experience, a different opinion, uh, a different perspective. I honor all voices, Bridget. I like that. Honor all voices. Love it. Kevin M. Yates's career in training, learning, and talent development started more than 20 years ago at a small community bank on the south side of Chicago, where he was a trainer and instructional designer. Over the years, he has had amazing progressive career experiences with local and global roles for facilitation, learning solutions design, learning technology, curriculum development, program management, leadership development, learning operations, learning analytics, and impact analysis. The industries in which he's worked include education, financial services, insurance, news media, marketing, professional services, food services, and most recently, social media. He's fulfilling his purpose, pursuing his passion, and he's dedicated his career to being a persistent voice and advocate for measuring the impact of training, learning, and talent development. They call Kevin the L&D detective, <laughs> learning and development detective, and you should see his wonderful, wonderful avatar. I love it. Go to his website, kevinmyates.com. You're going to fall in love with it. They call Kevin the L&D detective because he yes, solves mysteries. Yes, they do. Yes, they <laughs> do. They call mysteries. Me the mystery he solves is what is the impact of learning? It's not a murder mystery. It's a measurement mystery. Now, you are in something of a niche area, if you will. I mean, I, I have never heard of an LND detective. I don't know that I, maybe I have heard of measuring impact in learning, but you just do it with such smoothness and such, I don't know, there's, there's a 
Blair, how did you get into saying, I am going to empower organizations to, to, to measure impact in training, learning, and development? How did you get into that? It's, it's an interesting story. And, and because there is some depth to it, I, I need to try to give you this story in five minutes or less. So I'm going to go back to about 2014, I think it is. I had been in training, learning, and talent development for some time around 2014. And I hit, I guess you call it a brick wall, maybe, where I had done so much in training, learning, and talent development that I was getting bored, Bridget. And I was so bored because I had served in all those roles that you described. I was at the point where I was looking to make an exit from the profession because I was bored. I felt like I had done as much as I could do. I didn't feel like there was anything else I could do in training, learning, and talent development. So I decided to look outward. At about the same time, I went to a conference and met Patty Phillips with the RI Institute. And she was talking about measuring the impact of training and learning. I was like, what's that? Right? Because up until that point, Bridget, I was measuring impact just like everybody else. I was using post-program learning surveys that asked, did you like the training? Did you like the instructor? Was the food good? How did you like the facilities, right? And, you know, that was the point at which we were kind of stuck in our measurement ways. I might have even also measured how many people did we train? How many courses did we offer? How many hours of training did people complete? And for me at that particular point, I was like, there's got to be more to it than this when we talk about measuring the impact of training and learning. So I met Patty Phillips in that conference room hotel, she was describing this methodology for how to measure the impact of training and learning. It was something I knew nothing about, but it sparked a fire, right? Because I really didn't wanna leave the, the profession of training, learning and talent development. But again, I felt like there was nothing else left for me. This was something I knew nothing about and something I was gonna have to learn about. So it re-engaged me and it lit a fire that I didn't even know had a fuse, right? When I discovered that there are ways to measure the extent to which training and learning is fulfilling its purpose, I latched on to that. I engaged with it. And I just decided at that point, when I discovered that passion, I literally, Bridget, I decided that this is where I'm going to spend all of my time. This is where I'm going to develop my expertise. And I am going to be a voice in our industry for how to measure the impact of training and learning. So it was deliberate, it was intentional. And interestingly enough, I grew into the LD detective as a result of wanting to leave LD. But thank goodness I discovered the science and the discipline of measuring the impact of training and learning as another part of LD. And that is what brought me back, and that is what re engaged me, and that is what led me to being who I am today as the LD detective, measuring the impact of training and learning, solving measurement mysteries. So that's, that's the backstory. I think I did that in less than five minutes. You did. You did a marvelous job, an absolutely stellar job. With being an L or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you the L&D detective, not an L&D detective, with being the L&D detective, what kinds of presentations do you deliver? What kinds of organizations do you speak to? So I consider myself so fortunate and so blessed to literally speak around the world, right? Um, have spoken on many continents, many countries, many organizations, all of which who have invited me to come in and speak about my work as the L&D detective and my work uh, for measuring the impact of training and learning. 
And so when I am on world stages, when I'm on global stages, I am describing the mindset and the methodology for how to use facts, evidence, and data to evaluate the extent to which training and learning is measurably influencing human behavior, actions, performance, and ultimately organization goals. So, you know, Bridget, if it's like a keynote where I have about 60 minutes, um, I try to condense that within a 60 minute time frame. I think I do that pretty well. Um, I think that it is just packed full of actionable strategies, actionable methodologies, actionable ways in which people can measure the impact of the training and learning. So, you know, again, if it's like a 60 minute keynote, um, I'm summarizing the work, right? Getting people to a point where they are ignited to do the work, right? If it's more than an hour, so like if I have, uh, you know, like maybe a two hour workshop or a three hour workshop, then I'm doing a little deeper dive, right? I'm actually solving a measurement mystery with the audience, with the participants. I like to say that they are actually serving as my Watson. If you think about Sherlock Holmes, who had Watson as his sidekick. So the way I position it when I have the longer speaking engagements, Bridget, is that, you know, the audience is my Watson. I'm the Sherlock Holmes, and we're going to solve a, a measurement mystery together. So when I am speaking, um, I am speaking and narrowly focused on the thoughts, ideas, the method, the mindset, and the strategy for how to measure the impact of training and learning. And then I think your, your, your follow-up to your first question was, who am I speaking to? What agencies and organizations? And that varies, right? So more often than not, it is for professional organizations in the training, learning, and talent development industry. Um, and then there are also some times where I have gone into businesses, companies, and organizations to do training for their people and their teams on how to measure the impact of training. So my audiences are pretty, uh, pretty broad uh, and far reaching. Um, you know, again, going from speaking at national conferences, global conferences, and then also speaking in uh, or rather for local businesses and organizations and some, some pretty big businesses as well. Some, some globally recognizable brands, some big brands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stick your chest out a little bit further when you say that now. <laughs> well, I am very proud of that. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> As you should be. Now, I heard you say one of the hallmarks of your presentations is giving the audience actionable items. Yeah. What else would you say is a hallmark of a Kevin M. Yates presentation? Well, in addition to, you know, actionable methods, thoughts, and ideas, I think that one of the hallmarks hallmarks of spending time with me in a keynote or workshop is authenticity. Um, to borrow modern day vernacular, I like to keep it real. So I tell the truth. So a lot of what I talk about is not idealistically true. It is actionable, right? So I think that one of the hallmarks or, you know, as part of the hallmarks um, is actionable. Um, you're going to experience authenticity. You're also going to experience some real life storytelling. So I'm not just pulling stuff out of the sky, I'm actually using examples of work that I have actually done, right? And I think that that adds to credibility. And then the other thing that I think audiences will experience um, is a little bit of humor. They're gonna have a good time. You're gonna have a good time with me. Because um, I like to laugh. Laughing is good for the soul. And so why can that not be a part of my presentations? Um, and the answer to that, there is no reason why I can't be a part of my presentation. So I include it. Um, and part of that just comes through because I'm just being me when I'm on stage. I'm having fun because I enjoy it. 
and I want the audiences to have fun along with me. So, you know, I try to find ways in which to keep them engaged with, with humor and laughter. So I think that describes what, 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 what some time with me would be like, you know, as an audience. The authenticity piece and the humor piece, both of those are so true. You, two other colleagues of ours, uh, and I were in stitches, <laughs> just telling stories. We went from one to the other, to a family reunion, to a former girlfriend, to what does your drink order mean? Uh, so yeah, I you're, you're spot on with that when it comes to authenticity and humor, both uh, in just casual conversations and your presentations. I want to ask you, what is one of your favorite stories you know, feeding off of that authenticity piece? Do you have a favorite story that you've shared in a presentation that, I don't know, you just absolutely love it or the audience loves it and you wouldn't mind sharing it or part of it with us? Yeah, and it, it might not be a quote unquote funny story or it might be, I'll, I'll share it with you. It, it depends on, you know, where you are in your humor journey, but it's a real story. It's, it's an honest story and it relates to the work that we do as training, learning and talent development professionals. So I think that a lot of audiences appreciate it. So one of the things that I recommend as part of the strategy for measuring the impact of training and learning, Bridget, is that you proactively define what impact is before you try to measure it, right? So you gotta know what it is before you chase after it, right? And as part of that, I have developed nine questions that I believe give the answers that inform decisions for instructional design that has potential for impacting people's behavior, actions, and performance. So more often than not, Bridget, when we engage with our business partners and stakeholders in the organizations where we work and they submit their air quote trainer requests, they like to tell us what they want, right? It's almost like we're working at a fast food restaurant, <laughs> right? Where someone comes to us and says, I'd like one e-learning, two instructor leads, and a side order of WebEx or a side order of Zoom. That's what it feels like, right? <laughs> so in a business where I worked once, I was working with a senior leader and I was engaging him in those nine questions. And he was visibly very upset because he just wanted to place his order for training. He didn't want to engage with me in the questions that I had about what was the organization's goals. What are the performance requirements to, to achieve those goals? What are the risks to performance? If you, if you, um, if you take a look at where performance is today and, and compare that to where it needs to be, what does that look like? Well, he was just visibly upset because again, he wanted to tell me what he needed in terms of his training requests. And his training request was, we need a three hour training on leadership development. Well, I needed to dive a little deeper into that. So what ended up happening, Bridget, is that he reported me to my manager and my manager was the head of HR. And he reported me in the context of, you know, Kevin asked way too many questions. Uh, I just need him to take care of my training requests. I don't need him to ask me all of these questions. And he just went on and on and on and on and on. So the funny thing about that is I was actually trying to help him. I was trying to create a win-win situation because if we have all the information we need, we are then better empowered to create the right kinds of training and learning solutions that will measurably impact human performance and ultimately organization goals. Well, thank goodness, my leader, the head of HR, who totally got it, you know, he, he came to bat for me. He, 
he stood up for me and he knew what I was trying to do. So he had to share with that senior leader stakeholder that, you know, Kevin is not a problem. Kevin is doing the right thing. Kevin is trying to help you. Help him help you. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I like sharing that story because what it does is it, it humanizes who I am to the industry. Because just as the industry and, and colleagues and peers encounter those types of challenges and situations, I encounter them too, right? So I'm just like the rest of the industry. There's, there's nothing unique about me in that sense. I have the same type of experiences, the same types of challenges and frustrations and pushback. And I think that that's a good story for me to share because, again, it then kind of takes away the mystique of me just being mystical and perfect and always right and always correct. And it demonstrates to the audience that I have the same types of challenges that you do. So that's one of the stories that I like to, to share for that reason. So it presents the authenticity of, uh, of who, who I am. Um, it connects with the audience because I'm sharing something that I'm sure that many others have encountered as well. And then it's funny. <laughs> I mean, to think I was being reported because I was asking questions. That is crazy. <laughs> And it wasn't, it wasn't questions like, how's your day? Did you see that movie? What are you doing for dinner tonight? It wasn't just like frivolous talk. It was, hey, what are your organization's goals? Yeah. What are the performance requirements to achieve those goals? Where are you seeing the gaps in performance? So those are very relevant questions. So that would be an example of a story that I like to tell and share and for the reasons that I've already shared. I love that story, and I'm going to circle back around in a little bit and talk, uh, talk about how our listeners can use that story to their own advantage in preparing for their own presentations. You are going to have an opportunity to ask me a question in just a second, though. Now, what I love about that story is it, it resonated with me so well because I used to be part of a professional development and faculty development team where we would go on college and university campuses and deliver presentations. But, and even today, now that I'm not in corporate America, I still do this. But before we would go on those campuses, before we would you know, confirm everything, we would ask a number of questions. We would ask, uh, you know, what do you want them to know or be able to do by the end of the session? And, you know, whatever the topic was, we would ask, well, what do the audience members do already that, uh, is is really outstanding. You know, what are they doing already that's really, really great? For instance, if someone wants me to do a presentation skills workshop or training, one of the questions I will ask is, what are some things that your team members just knock out of the park with presentations? But then I'm also going to ask, what's, what's, what's a sticking point? What's a gap? What are some challenges that they have? I am doing a couple of presentations for a large publisher next week. And, uh, you know, all of their salespeople are there. We've had probably three or four conversations, had another one yesterday, just making sure that I'm getting it right. And I even asked my contact person some more questions yesterday. You know, um, he was like, oh, that's a really good question. So I... Love that because you cannot just kind of pop in and pull something off of the shelf. You can, but, you know, as a speaker, that's not as fun. And for the audience, it's not as impactful. And it's like, what are we doing here unless you ask those questions? So for the audience, 
ask the questions. What do you want people to know? What do you want them to be able to do? What's the biggest challenge you have? What do you want solved? What will your team be able to do if they can figure out X? Ask all of those questions. Come up with your list. You have a list. I know I have my own list depending on who I'm speaking to. That is about preparation. That kind of helps take some of the nerves away as well. When you know you've nailed and you've got all the answers to all of your questions and you can create and deliver a custom solution and an engaging activity or an engaging presentation. Okay, tell me this, Kevin. What do you, no, no, no. No, I don't want to ask you that. Maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to know, I'm going to want to know what that is, but go ahead. I love keeping you on the edge of your seat. Uh -huh. So if you could think back to one of the first presentations you ever made, whether it was being the LND detective or you know, something else, you think back to your first presentation or one of the first ones versus your most recent one, what would you say is the biggest difference between the two? Biggest difference between the two, and I'm so ready to answer this question, Bridget. The, the biggest difference between the two, and I can remember my first speaking presentation, and, and I can reflect on my presentation last week, right? So that fills those gaps you just talked about. I am so much more comfortable now saying, I don't know. Hmm. And just let that marinate. I am so much more comfortable now saying, I don't know. So. When I think about my first presentation, I remember someone asked me something and I felt the need to answer the question, even though I didn't know the answer. And I remember how I just took it and I spinned it and spun it. Well, spun it, do you spin it or spun it? I just remember just spouting out some stuff, just trying to fill gaps of time with trying to answer it and, and say something. And I just, I can just remember myself just spiraling out of control with the answer, right? When what I should have done in retrospect, obviously, is say, you know, I'm not exactly sure about the answer to that question. I'd like to get the answer. Let's exchange information so that I can get back to you, right? So I don't think that it's appropriate to just leave it at, I don't know. I think that you need to leave it at, I'm not exactly sure right now, but I'm going to commit to you to get any answer. So. Um, I'm much more comfortable doing that now than I ever was, um, you know, when I first started in my speaking career, because I just felt pressure to, to be the expert, right? Um, what I didn't do was allow myself the grace to not only be an expert, but to be human. And to be human means that we don't always have all the answers immediately readily available to us, right? So today, fast forward to today, I know a lot more now than I did then. <laughs> So if you ask me some questions now, it's more than likely that I'm going to have all the answers, but it's also likely that someone could ask me a question and I don't have the answer, right? So as I reflect on, you know, Kevin, the speaker eight years ago compared to Kevin, the speaker today, uh, I am much more comfortable with saying, I don't know, I don't have the answer right now, but if you allow, I will find the answer and get back to you. Everybody, press pause. Hit that 15 second rewind button about <laughs> four or five times and listen to that again. Kevin just gave a perfect textbook expert answer to that question of what's the biggest difference? Plus, how do you handle an instance when you don't know the answer 
to a question. It's okay to not know. Don't say I don't know. It's, it's, it's okay to not know. And he says, I don't tell him I don't know. I say, I don't know the answer right now, or I'm not sure right now. But if you'll give me the opportunity to research that, let's reconvene. So on and so I'm just just hit the rewind button and listen to Kevin say it so much more eloquently than I said it, because that is textbook how you handle that. Love it, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, we're having fun with it, Bridget, but the reality is that yes, we're export experts in our field. Um, we do know a lot. Our experience has informed our ability to share what we know with audiences, particularly when we're on stage. But even with all of that experience um, and talent, we don't know everything. And that's okay because, you know, I am not Google Yates, I'm Kevin Yates, which means that I don't know everything. <laughs> I'm not even chat GPT Yates. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because Google and chat GPT, you can find the answers there. They have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but I certainly know how to find them when I don't have the answers. So that's a very real thing. And the other thing, Bridget, kind of like how I reflected on the audience probably saw me spiraling out of control on the stage when I first did it because I was trying to find the answer in my head. People are going to know when you don't know the answer. They're going to know unless you're just going to flat out lie. Right. And that's reckless. When you're on stage, we have, I believe, a commitment to tell the truth and to be careful with the truth that we tell. So I just said all that to say, again, um, it's OK to not know everything. It's, it's not OK to, to not try to find the answer um, and give that answer. Um, but it's OK to not know everything. Perfect, 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 perfect. What is your question for me? I got a question for you. <laughs> Do, do the butterflies ever go away for you when you are about to go on stage? Like, so over the years, and I've known you for a little while, Bridget, so, and I know that you've been speaking for quite a while. So most people might say, hey, she does this all the time. She probably just hops on stage, no problem, no worries. But my question to you is, do the butterflies ever go away for you? The answer is unequivocally no. And I'm going to give you a perfect example. So I am delivering a presentation uh, tomorrow. And before getting on to have this conversation with you, I was sitting, reading through all of my notes for this presentation, 13 pages, rewriting stuff, scribbling stuff out, drawing arrows to the back of the page and adding all kinds of stuff. And this is for a 45 minute webinar, but I am just, I'm just chopping it all up, reordering slides and everything. And the butterflies are going to be there until I finally deliver it and I'm finished with it. The butterflies never go away. However, the butterflies are a good sign for everyone that you are committed to doing a great job. And a great job isn't about the speaker. A great job is about bringing value to the audience. And so with me reorganizing things and deleting things and scratching out things, it's because I'm hearing it and I'm saying the audience is not going to pick up what I'm putting down if I put it like that. So let me, let you know, if I change the order of this, 
that's going to make more sense for them. If I, if I delete this, but say that, that's going to make this more actionable. It's not about me. It's about them. So the butterflies never go away. It's not until I get to the end and I feel like, yes, I gave them something. I gave them something that they can use and that, and I feel relatively confident they're going to take action. And I make it, and I made it easy for them. You've got to make it easy for them. If it's convoluted and complicated and all over the place, eh, they're, they're, they're not taking any action. So the butterflies never go away for me. It doesn't look like, and I'm 20 plus years into this and I'm still, yeah, no, uh-huh. <laughs> well, it's interesting to hear you say that because they never go away from me as well. And there was a point at which I would ask myself, when is this going to go away? Like, when are you not going to feel a little anxiety, a little fear, um, a little self-conscious? All of that stuff is what I experienced before I hit the stage. And I just thought that at some point over time, it would just go away, right? And again, drawing upon where you and I just last saw each other at the ATD Core 4 conference last week in uh, Arlington, Virginia, I just remember now I'm reflecting on what those moments were before I walked on stage and I was wringing my hands. I was doing self-talk to just kind of be okay and to get ready. It was, you know, all of that, right? So I am a little nervous. The butterflies do still kind of flutter in my stomach before I go on stage. Um, so I also actually think, Bridget, for me, that's a good thing because it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me sharp. Um, it keeps me in a place where I know that there is always an opportunity to improve because I'm not so, no, I'm, I'm not so much in my own head that I'm saying, you know, Kevin, you got this. You're perfect. You do this. You speak all over the world. This is easy. There, there's nothing hard about this. No, that none of that is true. <laughs> and, and so that little bit of, you know, butterfly in the stomach, that little bit of fear, that little bit of anxiety, all that stuff. It's a good thing. It keeps me on my toes. Now, the thing is, I'm not petrified by it. You know, it, it doesn't just like paralyze me, but it just kind of keeps me on my toes. So I'm, I'm wondering if that is something that most speakers um, experience. And, and for those who don't, I'm wondering what's, what's going on in their heads. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Everybody head over to kevinmyates.com. That's kevinmyates.com. Check the show notes and you can get that link. Go over to his website, the LND Detective. Get your free LND Detective kit. Download it there. It's been downloaded thousands of times in more than 20 countries. So he's got some good stuff in there. Also, there's information there to book Kevin to speak. His message is global. He's helped hundreds of learning and development professionals discover how to investigate impact for training and learning. And his keynotes, his panel discussions, they're fire. They address challenges. They address opportunities for using measurement and using data to evaluate results. And your audiences will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. So, KevinMYates.com. Go check him out. Don't just check him out. Book him and following him on follow him on social media and get that L and D detective kit. Kevin, what's one final strategy or piece of advice you would give our listeners for how to own the microphone? 
You know, I, I touched on it a little bit, Bridget, and as cliche as it's going to sound, it is true. Um, the advice that I would give to aspiring speakers and even speakers who have been in the game for a little bit, I say fall back on who you are. Fall back on the value proposition that you have. Uh, fall back on your authenticity, right? I believe in living in authenticity because living in duality is too much work. And so when I am on the stage, I, I have not, Bridget, I've, I've not created a, a stage persona for Kevin M. Yates. And, and I suspect you might attest to this, but the dude that you see on the stage is the same dude that will sit across from you and have dinner, right? So that's me. I, I try to be who I am everywhere and show up the same way everywhere I go. So from the perspective of being a speaker and speaking on stages, I say find that place of comfort and confidence in just being you, let that come through. And I believe that you'll do well for whoever you are and whatever message you have. I think when you show up as yourself, the audience will appreciate that you did. So that's my, uh, that's my recommendation. And that's my, my, my words of advice. Absolute perfection. Kevin M. Yates, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. Good to see you. Oh, absolutely. Always a joy talking with you. And to my listeners, thank you for tuning in. I am Bridget McGowan. Until next time, make sure you always own the microphone. <laughs>